giving your investment strategy momentum, new high income funds from Mindson and Kames Capital and investment trust Dividend Heroes. I'm Kate Bealey, Deputy Personal Finance Editor, and this is the Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Show. So firstly, we're going to look at momentum investing and whether you should choose stocks and even funds using those rules. I'm joined in the studio today by Emma Adjaman, personal finance writer at Investors Chronicle, and Rob Bergman, investment manager at Bruin Dolphin. So Emma, what is momentum investing? What's the logic behind it? Basically, it's about buying winners, Kate. Um, You buy stocks that are already performing well in the expectation that they will continue to perform well. And um, one of the most popular ways of doing this is to look at earnings momentum, um, finding companies that have beaten earnings expectations, because the evidence is that rather than a sharp increase in the share price on the news of this um, outperformance of earnings, um, there's actually a gradual uptick. So people are quite slow to recognise initially this good news. um, And so what tends to happen is a general drift upwards. And that's when you can, as long as you get in early, uh, you can benefit. Okay, so are there different definitions of momentum? Are there different ways of kind of quantifying it? Um, yes, there are. I mean, you could look at price, um, price momentum, earnings momentum. There's, there's a variety of different ways of, of looking at it. Okay, and I mean, it sounds a bit like uh, a kind of behavioural economics argument in a way, isn't it? it? Does this imply that we're all, as investors, just kind of surging into everything popular and following the herd and pushing up prices? And there is that element to it. I mean, I I spoke to um, the Investors Chronicles economist, Chris Diller, who's actually a big fan of momentum investing. And he was saying that that's one of the reasons that he likes it, um, because it it gives you understand the the mechanisms behind it. What tends to happen is that people are underreact to news. um, And it's because of that sort of behavioural sort of trend that people underreact and are a bit cautious when um, something's changing at a company that you get this effect. So kind of too slow to come out of something. Okay. Um, What what about the evidence base? Is there evidence to suggest that this does happen and over a range of timeframes? Um, yes, there is. So there have been lots of academic studies done into um, momentum investing and it shows that it works. So, for example, a momentum return premium has been found in US equities going back 212 years um, data from 1801 to 2012. And in the UK, um, this data has been this, this premium has been found going back to the Victorian era. So, you know, there's a lot of, of data to show that actually if you follow this kind of strategy, um, it, it can work well. But I mean, what, and so what's the limit? Because surely on, on this argument, if momentum keeps working, the prices just go up and up and up and up. So mm. uh, there must come a point where it, it comes to an end. What triggers the turnaround? Yeah, that's definitely right. I mean, there's no such thing as a free lunch in, in general and, in, and especially in investing. So, and this is a case with inve- momentum investing too. So it does tend to work well until there's a turn in the market um, and then suddenly this strategy can come unstuck. So last year was a good example because we saw a sharp swing in investor sentiment from growth to value stocks. And if you'd been following the momentum strategy style, you would have been in the growth stocks, which have been very popular, um, have been performing well for a long time and would have missed out on the gains in, in value stocks. OK, um, actually, Rob, I'm going to come to you and... Just ask, what, what do you think about momentum investing as a as a strategy? Do you buy it? Yeah, yeah, I think it's a it's a good, it's a good strategy. But but like like everything else, I mean, there's, there's there's no silver bullet when it comes to investing. You know, there are times when momentum strategies work, and actually, long term, I think they work really well. Mm-hmm. But um, what they don't do necessarily is reduce volatility in the portfolio. So so or in your investments, they can. So 
when they go well, they go really well. When they go badly, it can be quite a roller coaster ride. Yeah, so, so it doesn't always work. I mean, Emma, what are some examples of momentum stocks in the past which have which have hit hard times, which have come down? Yeah, well, one of the most striking examples is the dot-com boom um, and bust of the late 90s and early noughties. So if you'd been following the momentum strategy in that situation, you probably would have been in those highly valued tech stocks, um, which obviously suffered the most when the bubble burst. Mm. So that's a, that's a, you know... A striking example, I'd say. What happens to momentum stocks, generally speaking, in volatile markets? Um, well, as sort of Rob has alluded, they don't tend to do very well in in volatile markets, um, and so often it will lose money if you're if you're following that strategy. Okay, can, I mean, can you tell us a bit about how it actually works in terms of how a fund manager investing like this would choose his or her stocks? Mm. Um, well, we looked at a number of examples in the article this week, so take a look at the magazine for some further examples. But one fund that uses a form of momentum investing is Marlborough UK Microcap Growth Fund. So its manager starts off with a very diverse portfolio of 200 um, stocks in small holdings and then adds the stocks that are doing well and quickly cuts the stocks that are doing badly. So that's one way of you know, using the momentum style. Okay. Um and Rob, what do you make of this kind of idea of factor investing in general? So this idea of investing in stocks which share the same characteristics and would react the same way in certain markets. Do, yeah, well, do you the, like factor investing? Yeah, I do. I mean, there's, there's a number of um, ETFs which which are based around factor, factor-based factor indices. So, for example, you can get momentum-based indices. You can have minimum volatility type of indices. And... Uh, Again, I stress there is no there's no silver bullet in this, right? So, so in different market conditions, these funds are going to not perform the same as each other. But if you want to take a, if you want to get some exposure to, let's say, emerging markets, and you don't want the volatility that goes, but generally these companies, these indices tend to have quite a high uh, weighting towards resource companies, which can be quite sort of volatile because they're based around resources, obviously. Um, so, if you by using a minimum volatility. ETF, you can you can strip out those those highly volatile bits and just get left with the core holdings. So they're a nice way of being able to sort of just slightly finesse your investment style. And momentum definitely is is one of those factors that if you if you like a market and you think it's it looks really good value and is really going to run, momentum you'd expect to do pretty well. So when when do you think is a good time to buy momentum? Then when would you be buying it? When you think when you think markets look look really good value and you think that that. The, They've got the, further the, to the run. Trend, the trend is definitely upwards. Okay. If you're a bit nervous about markets, however, then momentum, perhaps, you might want to think, actually, should I be more value-orientated? And again, you can reflect this, right? So there's there's value, growth, quality, the whole range of these things. But it, but um, it's definitely, you know, the, the, all of these things are very... Uh, all of these things are just the building blocks of how any portfolio is constructed anyway. You want mm. to make sure you've got a mixture of these different styles. Unless, yeah. you, unless you want to be really clever and try and guess which way the market's going to go next, which is hard to do. Hard to do indeed. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned value there, and I think people will probably or might be more familiar with value investing. I mean, how does momentum compare to value? What's the difference in kind of stock selection? Uh, you would expect a momentum sort of an, in, an index based around momentum to be more dynamic in terms of the constituents of that uh, momentum so so momentum's going to be a lot of it's going to be down to well what is momentum as in as in are we getting earnings momentum is the price moving value is much more much more intrinsic it does change over time but not really not in the same and looking way looking for undervalued 
stocks, exactly, I would guess, yeah, rather exactly, than those exactly. popular so ones. You're taking a sort of two, three, five-year view. Momentum is, is more transitory. And so, and Emma, just finally on this, you did mention um, one fund there. Are there kind of different ways of choosing momentum stocks which other fund managers, you know, do other fund managers do it differently? Um, yes, I do. So some managers will look at price or earnings momentum, um, and they often they'll use it as part of a wider investment process. There's actually not that many funds that focus exclusively on looking for, um, you know, taking the momentum style, but they'll use it as part of other things that they do. Okay. And we've been talking about momentum as a way of stock picking, but you can actually choose funds this way, can't you, Emma? You've been looking at um, this concept of choosing a fund, I guess choosing a popular fund or choosing a fund that's doing well. Yeah, um, it's an interesting one because most people will tend to, you know, use momentum investing when they're looking for shares. Um, but one fund research company, fundexpert.co.uk, uses it to select funds, um, and they call this process the dynamic fund selection. Basically, what they'll do is they'll buy or recommend people buy the top three best performing funds in a particular sector over the past six months. Um, you hold those for, for six months, and then in six months' time, you look at what are the now top three best performing stocks, um, funds rather, and then you move your, 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 you switch your money into those funds. So it's a way of using momentum to find the best performing um, funds in the area. And their research has shown that this strategy um, between 1994 and 2016 in the UK all company sector achieved 7.85% extra growth a year compared to the average fund in the sector. Okay, wow. And does this work in some sectors better than others? Um, well, there are some sectors that they say that the strategy doesn't work so well. Uh, and this includes small sectors where there's not that many funds to choose from. But also, um, they're not quite sure why, but doesn't really tend to work as well in commercial property funds and Asian funds. Okay. Um, Rob, this process, this way of switching in and out of funds, it sounds like something which could get a bit expensive. Is that yeah. something to bear in mind? Yeah, definitely. You've got to look at sort of at trading costs uh, as a function of that. So if, you, if you're essentially you're going to be turning things over twice a year, mm-hmm. that could that could definitely add up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and costs are drag on on portfolio. You know. Yeah, and I, I mean because we always hear that you should hold funds over the very long term and you know ride out periods of underperformance, which is the right approach in your eyes. No, no, no fund outperforms all the time. It's important though that if you're if that if, if your fund is underperforming, you understand why it's underperforming. So if you're in a value fund and value's out of favour for that six month period, does that mean you should be switching it into some a biotech fund? I'm not I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure it is unless mm. so unless things fundamentally change with the fund, fund managers changed or or, or their 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 method the the mo that they use for for running the fund has changed or or looks like it's breaking down these have happened in the past the other thing to bear in mind with funds of course is the size particularly with sort of small small cap funds mm. so when a fund when a fund does well it attracts more and more money into it uh, and it gets to a point actually where the fund can become too big to run yeah we we have been talking about that quite a lot in recent weeks when you should switch out but so finally then on, on factor investing what do you think your take home point would be for investors wanting to use factor investing how should they approach it i think it's a really good thing and it's a good discipline to have um the nice thing is you can find a style which actually suits your style of investing if you want to be very aggressive there are aggressive styles you can use if you want to be a value investor you can reflect that too 
but just remember that no style will outperform in any every period okay thanks rob and emma and now we're going to look at two new fund launches for income seekers so a global infrastructure income fund from Mighton, yielding around four percent and a new high yield bond fund from kames capital so first Mighton's fund is aiming for an initial yield of four percent and it's going to grow its dividends by four to six percent every year and it's invested in global infrastructure projects so rob why is infrastructure such a good sector for income it's a nice diversifier. It's a nice diversified income stream. I mean, a fund like you now there are different types of infrastructure fund. There's uh, there so there's the type which invests in direct infrastructure it, itself, and then there is uh, that tend to be closed ended funds, and there's funds like this which are investing in infrastructure shares. Now the thing to bear in mind with a fund like this is, as it's invested in shares, it will in the short term have equity like volatility. So if markets take a plunge, you would expect this fund to go down. But over the long term. Funds of, of, of infrastructure type investments are much more are going to exhibit much more infrastructure type returns, which are nice and steady and stable and, and dull. But dull is not always a bad thing. Dull, but dull often linked worthy, to inflation yeah. as well. Exactly. Right? So a lot of the a lot of their revenue streams will be inflation linked. So if, they, if that is, then the, you'd hope that the capital and income on it, therefore, should keep pace with inflation. Yeah, and you mentioned there, but a little bit. But where do you think this sits in terms of risk? It's not equity. It's although this is an equity type fund, and it's not bond, so it's going to sit somewhere between between the two of them. Okay. Um, and as a balance to a portfolio, it's a really nice bit of balance to have within a portfolio, I would think. Okay. Now, this is going to be inv invested largely in developed markets, so US, uh, Europe, and in sectors like utilities and um, telecoms. I mean, what do you think the prospects are for income and risk in those areas specifically? Uh, some of the, some of these projects, I mean, some of the infrastructure assets are they're valued based on uh, interest rates. So do bear bear in mind that as interest rates rise, then the values values are not fixed; they don't always go up. Um, some of the other fund managers who run funds like this, and I should think this will be no different, uh, do do rotate. So so for example, if you if you are investing in toll roads, toll roads are good because when inflation goes up actually inflation uh, the 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 tolls go up and blah 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 so that's quite a good thing um you then got regulated assets so you've got things like sort of water companies where generally governments governments will determine how how much you can put rates up by which will be which will perform differently in different points of the cycle so there's always risk with i mean inf infrastructure isn't a free lunch either mm. sorry i'm just <laughs> We're always looking at for a free lunch, but, but <laughs> it's a it's an interesting one, though, isn't it? Because everybody's been talking a lot about infrastructure, specifically in the US, since yeah. uh, Trump took office because of his kind of very reflationary spending plans. Do you do you buy into this view that the infrastructure will get a boost in the US, or do you think that has been kind of there's too much hype there? Well, the the danger is, I mean, as, we, as we've seen with um, with. Donald Trump that actually you, there's a lot of jaw jaw and we've yet to see very much war war so we, we need to see can, can you actually a lot of things you said can you actually do them yeah uh, and will 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 the budgetary constraints mean that actually you struggle but but overall the tone is positive so mm. we remain positive and so also on income came new short dated high yield global bond fund a bit of a mouthful there um so we've been hearing a lot of negative things about bonds in recent months, even recent years, I guess, in terms of how expensive they are and where yields are. How appealing do you think high yield bonds are now in terms of income compared to other segments of the market? Uh, well, th there's a clue. I mean, generally, if something's paying you a higher yield, it's because you're being asked to take a higher degree of risk for that for that extra income. 
Um, so high yield bonds generally tend to be lower quality companies, which in the event that the economy falls off a cliff, they tend to suffer more. Default rates, though, are quite low. And I think the idea behind this fund is it's short dated. So actually, that's going to reduce greatly. It doesn't eliminate it totally, but it reduces the risk of it. Yeah, they, they are, aren't they? And the the benefit of shorter dated bonds is that reduced interest rate risk. Exactly. Right? So so if so if so if, if the prospects for interest rates going up sort of start to increase and five year bond yields and ten year bond yields go up, this should be relatively insulated. Yeah. Okay. I mean, for investors approaching bonds and bond funds at the moment, what do you think? How do you think is the way to play it? What what part of the market would you be invested in, and what kind of fund? Difficult. I mean, it's it's it's, it's bond bonds bonds are challenging. I mean, it's, it's you look at the interest rate environment in the UK, and it's very difficult to see when interest rates are going to go up. Uh, internationally, the US they are, probably are going to go up. Um, so, bonds bonds play a role for people in that they provide ballast and reduce sort of the volatility of the portfolio overall. Um, but when you look at bonds relative to infrastructure, you'd think, well, actually, you know, that bonds aren't producing much in the way of income. Mm. So the danger is don't 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 chase the high yield. Uh, just be aware if, you, if, if there's something that's got a high yield, particularly in the bond space, it's because there's an extra degree of risk that goes with that. And the, the key is to balance out that risk across a, a portfolio. OK. Um, well, finally, we're going to stick with the income theme and look at the next generation of investment trust dividend heroes that have maintained increasing their dividends for between 10 and 20 consecutive years. So should you invest in them? Um, the list this time is topped by Invesco Income Growth, Perpetual Income and Growth and Standard Life Equity Income. Now, Emma, you've been having a look at these, haven't you? How long have those raised their dividends for? Yes, that's right. So Invesco Income Growth has raised its dividends for 19 consecutive years. Perpetual Income and Growth has done so for 17 years. And Standard Life Equity Income has done so for 16 years. Okay. And where do the bulk of the trusts in this list come from? What sector? Um, Most of them come from UK equity income sector, which isn't surprising given its focus on income and paying out good dividends. But four out of 18 trusts um, that the association of investment companies looked at actually come from the UK smaller company sector, um, which is not necessarily an area that you'd associate with dividends. Yeah, Rob, do you find that surprising? This certainly isn't an area you would normally think of as an income generating area. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, even in the, I think in the magazine this week, someone talking about Mossbros, which is the third biggest suit um, seller in the UK, but they've got a six percent dividend yield now. Now, perhaps the growth prospects for Moss Bros is not, you know, they're not they're not going to they're not going to go up tenfold. I wouldn't think in the next sort of next five or five or six years. But they're a nice, steady, solid company that actually have got the discipline, which is exactly what we want to see from from companies of rather than rather than wasting their company's money on on expensive acquisitions or in in vainglorious attempts to sort of grow the business are quite happy to say, well, actually, here, you have the cash back because yeah. we, we can't find a better use for it. So and there are a lot of companies like that. There's, there's family-owned companies, like I think one of the big holdings in the Invesco fund is uh, Young's the Brewers. So, you know, they're, they're actually they're nice, steady. You know, they're not, they're not trying to set the world alight. They're just trying to provide a nice, solid... Although I guess profitability and dividends back to shareholders. Although I guess, in fact, what, what we're talking here, investment trust is is a very different prospect from from a small company. Uh, no, but this is just an example of the kind of companies that exist in the smaller company space. And mm. so these smaller, so these these investment trusts focusing on on income orientated small company f- firms can can actually find there's, there's actually quite a nice a nice 
nice fishing Less income there. to be had in there, yeah. I mean, Emma, how high is the income that we're talking about? Is the yield higher than the general market on these trusts? Um, no, that's the thing. So the yields tend to be um, lower than you'd get in indices such as the FTSE All Share, which is yielding about 3.5%. Um, these trusts tend to have lower yields than that. Okay. And what's the explanation um, for why they've managed to raise their dividends year on year? Well, it could be that they've been able to tap into a different source of income that's sort of less correlated um, to markets and macro trends. So that could be one explanation for for why they really moved to do this. And, and we should mention the fact that investment trusts are able to hold back at least 15% of revenue um, in order to kind of smooth dividends in years where their yes. um, income falls. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two new additions to the list, to the AIC's list this time around, aren't there? Yes, there are. Um, Henderson European Focus Trust and Schroeder Oriental Income Fund. And both of, both of those have increased their dividends for 10 consecutive years. Okay. Uh, Rob, are, they, are you familiar with those funds? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they're... they're the danger is when you're looking for income that you focus too much just on your own domestic market. And the UK has always been a very income-orientated market, for mainly for tax reasons. But but things like Schroeder Oriental and the, the Henderson European Fund, you know, they're, they're wonderful ways of just diversifying your income stream and not leaving yourself entirely reliant on, on one market. Yeah, okay. Um, what do you look for in a dividend-paying trust in terms of earnings, cover, revenue reserves? What well, do you like to see? Yeah, all of those. I mean, you, you, you want to see, you want to see the... The, you want to see the, the history of have they managed to, have they maintained their dividend or increased it for X number of years? Have they got decent enough reserves so that if there is a down year? I mean, uh, those of us who have been around a while do know that, that occasionally dividends do get cut, but it, that, that's not been for the last sort of 10, 15 years, but it does happen. Okay. Um, all right, well, thanks. Some good stuff to be thinking about there. And for more on all of that, pick up the magazine. Um, that's all we've got time for this week. So thanks, Rob. Thanks, Emma. Um, but everything we've discussed today, take a look at the magazine or the website. Otherwise, we'll be back same time next week. Have a good weekend. <laughs>